is discovery. Sometimes you discover the things you want to do, but people look at life like it's a buffet. Your eyes are all bigger than how much they can eat, right? Like you're not gonna do all these things. Like you don't need that capital. You know, there are definitely people who can light some money on fire and have some very expensive things that they wanna do. And some people that don't, but like you need to be personally in touch of what are you saving for? Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast with your host, Jamila Souffrant. As a money expert who walks her talk, she helps brave journeyers like you get out of debt, save, invest, and build real wealth. Join her on the journey to launch to financial freedom in, in five, four, three, two, one. What if there was a way for you to save thousands of dollars so that you could spend more money on what matters to you? If you have a monthly car loan payment, chances are you're paying too much on your vehicle loan. AutoApprove can help you refinance your current car loan so that you can lower your monthly payment, get a better rate, or both. AutoApprove connects vehicle owners with the best available rates to refinance their current car loans with no markups ever, and even handles the DMV paperwork making it simple to save thousands and lower your monthly payments. Check this out. In 2021, auto-approved customers saved on average $1,692 per year. What would you do with that much money back in your pocket? Me? Ooh, I'd probably take a solo staycation at a local hotel or hire the babysitter more for some date nights out with hubby. It's time for you to put more money back into your pocket to spend on the things that matter to you. Get more money for what matters to you the most with AutoApprove. Find out how much you can save at AutoApprove.com slash Journey to Launch. That's A-U-T-O-A-P-P-R-O-V-E dot com slash Journey to Launch. If you want the episode show notes for this episode, go to journeytolaunch.com or click the description of wherever you're listening to this episode. In the show notes, you'll get the transcribed version of the conversation, the links that we mentioned, and so much more. Also, whether you are an OG journeyer or brand new to the podcast, I've created a free jumpstart guide to help you on your financial freedom journey. It includes the top episodes to listen to, stages to go through to reach financial freedom, resources, and so much more. You can go to journeytolaunch.com slash jumpstart to get your guide right now. Okay, let's hop into the episode. Okay, journeyers, I am so excited to be having this conversation and for you to hear it because what I hope that this will do is what reading his book did for me, which was completely change my perspective on what I was doing with my money and life, which is a big deal for me to say. So I want to welcome Bill Perkins to the podcast. He is the author of Die With Zero, Getting All You Can From Your Money and Your Life. So welcome, Bill. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. So the first time I heard about you, or I think I saw you, you were doing something with Farnoosh. I think like that was the first time I saw something you were doing. And I, and I just saw the title of your book or what you were talking about. And it was Die With Zero. And I got to say, my initial reaction was like, what do you mean Die With Zero? Like the thought of it felt like, what is he talking about? Does that mean like we die in terms of not having any money left over? What about our children and like creating legacy wealth for them? And so I was not a fan at first, but that's because I didn't understand what you were talking about. And then I saw people rumbling around on the internet, reading your book and saying, this changed my perspective. And I, I gave it a chance and I read it. And I must say, it has changed my perspective. So can you, for people who have just are just hearing about this, what does the concept of die with zero actually mean when you say it? It's true. The, the title is jarring. It's meant to be that way. That You know, we got to get people in, in the door, right? It does mean die with zero resources left over. It does mean die with zero money. But in the course of doing that, you die with zero regrets or as close to zero regrets as possible. I like to use like stories and analogies, anecdotes to try and get the message across. Like most of us are raised by our parents, like eat the food that's on your plate, right? We don't put food on our plate that we're going to go throw in the trash, but we don't do that with our money. We'll go out, work harvest a bunch of capital, put it on our proverbial plate, and then check out and die with all this food money on the table, which is a waste, which is a waste of your life. And so a rational person will look to use all their resources towards their goal. What I posit in the book is your goal is net fulfillment, right? You want a fulfilling life. 
So this book is about net fulfillment over net worth. We're not trying to grow your net worth per se. We're trying to grow your net fulfillment over the course of your life. A lot of people be like, well, what about your kids and ancestors, et cetera? And that's all in the book. I'm going to go straight to that. We can go into depth later. The money that's you're setting aside for your kids is for your kids. It's not your money. It's their money. So I'm saying spend all your money before you die in order wisely and at the right times so that you get the most out of life. And that's what the book is about. I appreciate the clarity from understanding that point because- as a black woman, as just also understanding how much it took for my mom to immigrate here and for what she did for me. And now that I have three children, when I first saw it, I was like, wait, no, but I want to give back to my children. I want to give them a, a head start. And when I read the book, it talks about, no, we're not saying not to help your children out and to give them a financial foundation if you can. We're saying, why wait until you are, are dead to do that? You do that while you're alive. <laughs> Correct. That's like one of the most absurd uh, things that is part of our culture is that people are waiting till they check out to bequeath assets to their kids. And like, you know, they're not kids at 60, right? Like if you're dying at 86, you had a kid at 26 or 60 or 59, like they're not kids. And that's not the optimal time for them to receive money capital. All of us have a utility of money curve, right? Money is not useful to us when we're a baby. We can't really consume it and use it. And money when we're in diapers at the end of our lives is less useful as well, right? And so each one of us has a curve that we deteriorate. It's varied, but on average, we're going to deteriorate. And so our ability to convert that money into useful experiences, the things we actually have money for, deteriorates. And that, that applies to your kids as well. Right. And I do want to go deeper into uh, how we can do that for our children or if, for people we want to leave money to while we are alive. I do want to go back just a little bit to talk more about the foundation of your work and why for me, this was so important to hear and why I think it's hitting and changing people's perspective, because I originally started in the financial independence retire early movement because I was so unhappy with my job, even though it paid well. And so I was almost like running away from this unhappiness. And I was like, I'm going to save and invest as much money and as much time as I can to get to this end goal of financial independence. And then as I started to get in the movement, I realized a lot of it for me, at least for what the leaders I saw were using a restrictive model approach on you live on less and you don't enjoy your money now, like you'll enjoy the time later, even if it's only five or seven years later. And eventually like that wasn't working for me because I was like, there's no way I'm going to stay in this job longer than I need to and be stressed with this commute. I need to find a more balanced approach. And so how can I actually enjoy the money that I have? Now, when you talk about your story, you talk a little bit about when you first started working, you were also like a saver and someone came to you and said, why are you saving all this money? And I would love for you to like talk about that in a bit and how that started to change what you were doing. Right. I believe the fire movement, Vicky Robbins and uh, Dominguez uh, wrote uh, a book called Your Money or Your Life, right? Which kind of launched the fire movement. And I had read that book and it completely changed my life about how I thought about money and time and how they're interrelated about what my values were and what was going on. So I became an extreme saver, right? Like that was kind of like the, my first takeaway from that book, uh, one of the first takeaways. And I was barely making any money to, to make ends meet. I drove a limo at night to like have cash to support myself. And I, I was proud of myself. You know, I was a guy who bought the bus ticket in advance, you know, calculated everything out. And I had saved up about $1,000. And my boss at the time basically said, what are you doing saving this money? Like you got in this industry to make millions, right? And what, what do you care about a thousand dollars? Go enjoy your life, go enjoy your time. And it kind of set me for a loop because I started thinking about it. I was like, yeah, right. Like, what am I doing? He's right. I, I do believe in my future. I do believe I'm going to make more money. Why am I scrimping and denying my poorer self activities, interests, hobbies, et cetera, to give to my future wealthier self, right? It was a version of like robbing from the poor to give to the rich, but it was me on a timeline. You know, it sent me on this course of like, when do I want to be rich? When is the time to have certain experiences, et cetera? And, you know, a lot of times I tell people, one of the stories I tell people is like, I am not one of those guys who will go to jail for seven years to have the state pay me $5 million later, right, for wrongful imprisonment, right? I'd rather have my seven years, right? And, and I was doing a version of that 
by denying myself all this, like, oh, I'm just going to stay in jail and this kind of like self-imposed savings jail in order to be free it's seven years from now. You know, I love the fire movement. It, it gets you away from your materialism and it, it puts you in touch with what you really value. But at its extreme, it's suboptimal. There are certain experiences that are meant for certain times in your life and only that time. For each person, that might be different, but they don't transfer easily to your 30s or your 40s or your 50s. They are meant from them. And that is part of your story, your journey, and your life fulfillment. And to take that away, to give yourself to your 40s, is to miss out on life. And so there's a balance there when you're trying to optimize your life. And this book, you know, this isn't a book about spending. This book is about optimizing your life for fulfillment. A lot of it, the value comes from realizing like, wow, how am I being inefficient? And how am I taking a lot of money to the grave that I'm never going to spend? And how am I not living an optimal life? But it also talks about like, sometimes it does pay to delay gratification, right? And so what I was doing earlier was going, new, young guy, going to work like, oh, save, 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 spend, 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 spend. And over time, I said, wait a minute, there's an optimal path here. Let me find out what the mental models are to have that optimal path. Right. And this is what I want you to expand upon more. You just said a little bit about how certain experiences are useless uh, for us at a certain point if we don't use them. And talk about some examples of that so people can understand what you're saying. One of my favorite examples is that, like I wrote about it in the book, is that, you know, when my daughters were young, I, I love the, the Pooh Heffalump movie. It's a very sweet movie coming of age about friendship. And I used to watch it with them and I do all the kind of activities. And one day I was like, hey, let's watch Pooh's Heffalump movies. And, and my daughter was like, no, that, that's for babies. I'm not going to watch it. And that moment died. That was it. I no longer get to watch these type of children's movies with my kids. So if I ineffectively allocated my time, right, if I was going to work to work overtime instead of watching the movie with my kid, I missed out and it doesn't translate. When you're young and you're raging at the club and you're going out and you're, you know, two o'clock with the glow sticks, maybe that's the time to do it. Not when you're married in your 30s, right? You know, maybe you want to climb Mount Everest or the Himalayas, et cetera. You know, maybe that time is not when you have two kids. One of the things I say is like, listen, we, we're, we're in heaven and God's like, Lake, what? You're going to earth. Take all the activities you want to do. Just pile them in. Sex, skiing, traveling, working, running marathons, whatever it is, right? You just dump them in the bucket. And then God goes, here's a trick. You got to get the order right. So don't put the skiing, hella skiing, whatever at 90. Don't put, you know, this at whatever. You got to get the order right. Or otherwise, you don't get all the activities. Life's like Tetris. People are going through life like, Oh, I'm going to save until I'm 65 and then I'm going to do all the things I have in the God life bucket. I'm like, no, you're not. Stop kidding yourself. And some of them are, are, are subtle. It's like, no, you're married now. The club days are over. The so-and-so days are over. Now you have two kids. You're not doing X, Y, and Z. And, and, I, and this slaps me in the face uh, many times. Like I had a friend one time I was out in Thailand hanging out with my friends. Great vacation. Goofing off, right? And I was like, oh, I got to go back early. He's like, what do you mean? Why are you going to leave early? Whatever. I was like, I made this decision 13 years ago. My daughter has a soccer game. I'm getting back. So I cut that vacation early and went back. And so these dynamic decisions, decisions that, you know, if I, whether I have water or juice, it's really not going to have an impact on something later on. But when I have a kid, it's like a thousand trillion decisions in one in the future. And certain activities are gone, like staying that extra week in Thailand. It's gone. So maybe I should have went when I was in my 20s you know, in 30s and had had the memories and experience of fulfillment from it then. And so for each person, there's their health, their health decline, what structure of their life, whether they want to get married or not, you know, it's a, it's a complex thought process. But if you're off autopilot and you're not just, I'm just saving to save to get to this point, and you're actually thinking about how you want to live your life and what experiences you want to have and when best to have those experiences, you come up with a, a curve of spend and activity that's that's quite natural. Yes. And I mean, I think we can all look back and just to know that this is true, what you're saying is to think about the things when I was in my 20s and I thought, well, I want to travel and do all these things in my 20s. And I said, well, I want to save and have enough money to do it or do these exciting activities. And I would push them off until like later in life. Now that I'm later in life, more established, I don't have the desire to do those activities. Like I'm like, that does not interest me anymore. Back then it would have. 
And so I think about what are the things that I'm pushing off or saying that I'm going to do later in my life right now. And I'm kidding myself because maybe in my 40s or 50s, it's just not going to be something I'm interested in, which doesn't mean that like you shouldn't do it at all. It just means I just feel like following your happiness or bliss involves like capturing the moment. And I think for what's been hard for me to explain to people who are listening to the podcast and who want to be more responsible with their money is how do you do both? Like, how do you seize the moment? How do you enjoy your money when we are living in a time where it seems like so many people are not in control of their money, who maybe were not on the same path as you in terms of the income trajectory? And they're looking at it as like, well, I, Bill and Jamila says we can we can spend and live our lives today. But it's like, I know a lot of people who are doing that and they are really not in a good financial place. They really won't be good in the future either. So that's kind of where I struggle with showing people like this dynamic path. Yeah, I, I think the thing is to be deliberate and off autopilot. There's people who are on autopilot spend and there's people on autopilot save, right? Or, or some version of it, right? Like they have a natural inclination of like, put things into the future. Like if you keep going to the future, you'll eventually get to the point where you don't want to do anything but sit at home, maybe watch Jeopardy or something, you know, like reruns, right? And so we live off of our memories. Like we, you meet with your friends and what makes you interesting is the things that you've done, the stories that you tell, right? Like that is what is your, comes from your fulfillment. So certain things are for now. And even if you take money out of it, like I have these, these questions, you know, like, that thought process and being deliberate about it is like, okay, I have a kid about to go off to college. Do I go out at dinner and do it with my friends or do I stay home and hang out with my teenager who's about to go to college and I'm not going to see them, right? Like they already don't want to hang out with you that much when they're teenagers, right? Now they're really going away. You know, what's my decision process, right? What moments belong now and what moments belong later? And sometimes it's the opposite. It's like, Oh, I really want to go to this thing or whatever. And blah, blah, blah. It's like, wait a minute. I can make a return, save this. I'll be older. I'll be more mature. I'll be able to appreciate it even more. And I'll have more of a trip later and I'll still have the same health. Right. And so for each activity, for each experience and for each person who have at each resource level, we need to think about the things we can or cannot do or, or should be doing that gets us the most fulfillment and gets us there. You know, and then one thing I talk about is like, the first experience everybody wants to have is survival. We all want to survive, right? So there's all kinds of savings, retirement calculators, blah, 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 based on where you live and expense, et cetera. I add zero to that conversation, except for to say we solve for that first. After that, it's all entertainment. I love that. Okay, so I want to just reiterate what you said, and I want to dive deeper in that. Because when I read your book also, this hoarding of money concept can also come from insecurity and from a negative place, like especially depending on like what you foresee your future to be. Like, it sounds like in your story, you knew you were going to make a lot more money. You had belief in yourself and your ability to make more money. And sometimes like even now for myself, now that I'm actually making more money since leaving my corporate job, and sometimes I'll see things coming in. And then there's this fear, like, what if this is not going to happen again? Like, what if I don't receive this income again? And so then it, it prompts this energy in me to say, I can't enjoy all these things. I need to save this money because I don't know that it will get better than this. What's that like mental work or emotional work that it takes to have the confidence that you have to know that I spend this or I make this, but it's not gonna be the last dollar that comes in. There's more to come. When I was broke, it was easy because I could have been a waiter and made more money, right? I was choosing a career path to make a lot more money, but starting out at like, you know, I'd be better off sweeping floors. And, and the other thing is, is like to lose your ego, like people can get a job that they're going to survive. They might not have the BMW or the car or the thing, but you will survive. People will endure, right? Like, and if you really want to see poverty, you got to go travel and go outside the country. Like no safety net, no nothing, right? Go to Argentina, no prospects for jobs. But most of the people who are, who are reading this book, et cetera, have the education or the job opportunities, et cetera, ex ego to survive and make the money. So really we're talking about things and comfort, right? And like people like, well, I don't want to risk the ability to have comfort versus being comfortable or vers versus having experience. I don't want to risk future experiences that I'm probably never going to take. So I'm not going to take these experiences now. And I'm just like, well, this is crazy talk, right? It's really a strange thing. And you know, I've been there. I, I know this. I see it in people, but I've also seen it myself. Like, oh, you know, most of the time when I think about failure, I don't really fear the money or failing, right? I Like, I know I can get a job, right? I can work at McDonald's and get a job, right? Like, I can work at Amazon, they're hiring or whatever, right? Like, 
that's not what I'm worried about. I'm worried about the ego and you failed and X and you used to drive this and now you're doing that and et cetera. And I'm like, well, you're not even enjoying the money you have. What makes you think you're going to enjoy it at 65 if you're not enjoying it now when you're in worse health and a different attitude and a different mindset? That kind of like fear-based, irrational thinking, you just have to kind of confront it head on and be like, what is the goal here? I'm saving now to what? To survive? No, I'm not saving to survive. I'm saving for future experiences that, what, have I identified them? There's just some big giant cruise ship that I cannot afford at 65 that I want to take. You know what I mean? That's better than me doing something now while I'm healthy and having the memories of that and the stories of that with my loved ones who are alive, et cetera. Sometimes that may make sense. If you don't have that reason, then it's kind of like, well, we're, we're, we're in fear-based thinking land and we need to restructure our lives. Right. And I think there's like a distinction. And you say this in the book, like this book is not for everyone. It depends on like where you are. I'm thinking of people who are really struggling and need to get to financial stability. Getting to stability first is key and being in control of your finances. But then after that, like there becomes this point in which it's time to be honest with yourself about this false sense of security that you're thinking money is going to give you because I started to understand when I was like looking at my investments go up and how much more money I was making that and you still feel insecure a bit. So obviously it's not how much you're making. It's not that like having more money is going to make you feel secure. So digging deep into that was um really important for me. And then one of the things that you talk about was if you're oversaving and putting off experiences, like how do you know you can't afford that thing? How do you know you can't afford it and still have the good life that you're looking to have in the future? So how does one decide that? And I know what I started to do to help, but I would love to hear the things that you recommend for people. My parents, they come from a different period. They were tougher than I was, right? Like they they had things and I didn't aspire to a cookie cutter life. Like I did not want to go through life at the end of my days and regret my life. Like I wasted this ride. That was the issue. And so I, my main fear I try to identify with is that of wasting my life and my time not of running out of money. People fear wasting their money. I was like, you should fear wasting your life. I look at things through that lens, right? And that helps me from not hoarding money in exchange for experience. It helps me think, okay, what do you really want to have in your life? What does it mean not to waste your life? What does it mean not to waste your 40s, your early 40s? What does it mean not to waste your, your 30s or 45, wherever you are, right? What experiences belong in 50 to 55, 45 to 50, wherever you are, right? Do not waste that time period. Because, you know, I say people do not die just one death. Like people think like, oh, you whatever, and you die. Like periods of you die. The single you dies. The mother of small kids dies. The, you know what I mean? The, the empty nester, the first job you dies. The broke you dies. Oh my gosh, I'm getting so sad. All these deaths I'm thinking about. <laughs> Yeah, I know, I know. Right? But when you start realizing that your life has periods and seasons that end, you tend to take those seasons more seriously. It's like when you go on vacation, you go to like whatever town and you're like, we're going to run around. We're going to go see this. We're going to go that. We're going to wake up, see the sunset, whatever. And you, you run around to take advantage of that vacation period. And I'm like, there's a vacation here on earth. Do not waste it. Right. And on top of that, in that vacation, there's all these other little periods, the single you, the mother in you, the college student you, the first job you, the whatever, whatever it is in your life, the structure of your life. Do not waste those time periods, right? Know that they come to an end. Yeah, you, you quickly said it, but I'd, I'd love to touch upon it here. But for people to write down what age they want to do certain things, like to dream out, to map out the God-given experiences, those experiences you want to have in life, but put them age around it. Can you explain that a bit more? Yeah. So like, you know, there's a lot of movies like this movie, The Bucket List or whatever. And, and a lot of people like it comes into you. It's like, oh, yeah, you're going to work and then you're going to turn a certain age. And then, you know, before you die, you know, you're close to the end, you're going to run around the world and talk to the people and apologize and have the romance and do all the things that you wanted to do on your bucket list. And I'm just like, it's good to have a list of activities in a bucket list, but you need to know when those activities belong. Okay. Like your first romance should not be in 70 or 65, right? I'm just using the obvious one. The go hella skiing off of Everest or whatever crazy activity should not be at 85 or whatever. Now, yeah, there are there badasses who will do that? Yes, but that is not optimal planning, right? You know, certain activities belong in each age group, right? Like each time, right? Like if you're like, I want to start a family and that's part of my bucket list, right? That's an optimal time depending on who you are. 
I want to go to school. I want to start a business. I want to do X, Y, and Z. And I'm not saying you can't do them now in whatever age you are, but if you're, you know, wherever you are now, there's an optimal time and there's a place where these activities belong, where you actually get more value out of it. You know, one of the, the things I frequently say is that I went to St. Petersburg, Russia to travel and travel is one of the things I love to do. And they let you uh, climb the steps and walk around these churches. There's like 211 steps, whatever. And I saw all these tour buses from Asia, China, whatever. And not one of these older tour buses would got climb those 211 steps, walk around St. Petersburg. I thought to myself, they don't get the same St. Petersburg as I do. They don't get to see this view. They don't get to enjoy this. They don't get the same activities. So their, let's call it a $2,000 vacation to St. Petersburg, wasn't getting the same value that I was because I got to do the activities, et cetera. When I was younger, uh, I, used, I, went, I lived in Paris for three months, you know, for the summer, just to try and expose myself. I used to backpack all around the city. I walked seven miles a day, easy walking around. Now, I can still walk seven miles away, but it won't be enjoyable. My knees start hurting. You know, I'll probably stop because it's not enjoyable. So it's not the same Paris for me, right? Like the spend a month back walking around with a backpack in Paris was meant for a certain age for me to get the most value out of it, to have the most experience, to get the most memory dividends, to have the most stories to tell you, right? And, and the most interactions. And so... This is true for every activity, depending on who you are or what it is, et cetera, where those bucket list items belong on the timeline of your life is equally as important, if not more important than what they are. And no matter what age you're listening to this, like there are things you can do now. So yes, we can all probably look back and say, wow, I should have did that thing then (laughs) 10 years ago, but we can't change the past. But I think this is an invitation for everyone to really think about their life and what they want to do and what can they do now? What can they do within the next year versus always putting it off? Let's talk about what is professional today. On LinkedIn, important conversations are happening around what it means to be a professional. What's considered professional has vastly changed from decades, even just years ago. Right now, LinkedIn members are talking about things like needing more flexibility around where we work, how we work, and even taking time away from work to focus on family or mental health, because those things should not stunt career development and growth. Instead, they should enhance it as we show up on our own terms. Members are even putting what's most important to them in their job titles with things like podcast host slash activist slash mom. I know I'm going to update it to say podcast host slash author slash financial freedom crusader. Professional is ours to define and our authentic self is our professional self. So if your LinkedIn doesn't reflect who you really are, update your job title, post your truth, show the world the authentic professional you and join the conversations redefining professional on LinkedIn. LinkedIn, welcome professionals. Part of what, when I was reading your book and one of my fears was, okay, so if there's no amount of money that will make you feel secure, how do you know then you're not over saving and over investing to the point where you're not doing and putting off the things you want to do? And so I did end up hiring a financial like planner to help me because I, I have my own eyes and my own thoughts on what I want, but it's like, okay, it's good to have someone else who can help me figure this out. And it's funny because when I started meeting with them, they were like asking me like, how I can save more. They were like, we would, here's your saving and investing plan. And I was pushing back like, no, but I actually want to spend more now. Like, so the point is, have you read Die With Zero? And I want to actually take more vacations and do all these things. And I think it was nice to kind of have that as like an outside eye. But I think for some people, especially as in the fire space that I find out, it's like, it's all DIY. And that's what I did before. It was like, I'll do it myself. I figured it out myself. But then I wasn't really accounting for the things I was missing, like the blind spots of what I couldn't see and where I could be making mistakes. So that's how I kind of alleviated this fear of, am I overdoing it? And how can I add more joy and spend more money now so I don't regret it? Financial planning is great and and saving is great, but you have to know what you're saving for. We're not saving just to get high score in the bank account. Like that's, this is not a game. This is not asteroids, right? Like this is your life. And it's like, so we're saving for something or something's S's, right? And so what you should save and how much you should save is 100% related to 
what do you want to do, <laughs> right? What experiences do you want to have? What is your life? Are you a traveler or not a traveler? Do you like staying home and playing chess and hiking? Or do you like, you know, zooming around the world, right? Like in this is like, is is it pleasing to you to go first class or UK going economy? Like it, it, it makes no difference to you. Are you indifferent? Like all these things and what are the experiences you want to have? If you take money out of the equation, right? And you just have a list of things that you know you want to do, you know exactly how much money you need and how much money you need to save for to the penny, right? Like if you can, God can give you the power and just say, think deeply. And you go, this is exactly what I want. I know exactly how much money you need, right? And so the closer you're aware of what experiences you want to have, what journey you want to have, how your attitude is going to change and how you're, you know, you won't be capable of certain things. The more you know that, the more you know exactly what you need. If you get more, then you, you go out and discover some more things, right? And you know, I'm not saying that, like, that's not possible, right? Because life is discovery. Sometimes you discover the things you want to do, but people look at life like it's a buffet. Their eyes are all bigger than how much they can eat, right? Like you're not going to do all these things. Like you don't need that capital. You know, there are definitely people who can light some money on fire and have some very expensive things that they want to do. And some people that don't, but like you need to be personally in touch of what are you saving for? Saving is delayed gratification. That's what it's for. It's not just to get a number. And so the problem with financial planners is, is like, I'm going to plan for you to save and get the maximum money at X date. And I'm like, that's just not what my life is about. I'm about, I'm saving the money for experiences and these are where the experiences belong and this is what I need. And that's how we need to be thinking about it. Like, this is what I want out of my life. How are you going to get me the high score of net fulfillment out of my life? And here are the things I want to do. Yeah, that's a good point because they're looking at it more from the math. Like, how can we save on taxes for you? How much can we squirrel away, you know, and continue to do and help you optimize? Like they're optimizing for something different. But I will say that they're really good at and what's happening now is it's it's a dance because they're pushing me on, okay, how much can you save and invest? And I'm pushing them on, yes, and I want to do these things. Like, I want to travel more. Right now, we're doing renovations, like, on the basement because I'm like, you know what? What about, What's the value to myself, my husband, and my kids is to have a nice home. So that's, like, what we're spending a lot of money on now. And, like, these are things that before it would have been like, well, let's try to save as much as possible to have this pool of money where it's just like, why wait, Jamila? Isn't that the same thing as someone waiting and, and working a job they hate for, like, 60 years until they retire and they can't enjoy it? I always tease my friends. I'm like, well, when's the party? Like, I'm getting it. You're saving and you're saving all this money and you're building and you're investing and you're, you're 55 or 60, however old they are. And I'm just like, just tell me when's the party and what's the party? You know, at some point we're going to spend this money, right? We're not making money to give it to the government and random people in the future who are going to be old, et cetera, right? Like we're not trying to do that, right? Like we're, we actually have a purpose for our savings and, and being in touch of what the purpose is for will help you save the correct amount. Not undersave, not oversave. So it's really about being autopilot about what you want out of your life. And so your example, like, hey, it's important to us for our life, our, our, our happiness, our fulfillment to have a nice home, a place to commune and have friends over, whatever. That's excellent. You now know why you went to work. You went to work to have a nice home. This is why people go to work to like survive, number one, and then do other things. And once you uh, I got past survival. It's like, what are the other things that I want? Right. And you talk about memory dividends. You said it just now also where we're talking. Can you talk about what that means and then how like you talk about your birthday party, planning a big birthday party in the book for you, why you did that? So the purpose of money, right, is to have experiences, right? We have experiences. We do things. We get enjoyment and fulfillment from doing those experiences. I'll use a case of going on a vacation and then not only do we get the enjoyment of planning it and the experience of having and then going to the vacation, but after the vacation, after the event, uh, we have what's called a memory dividend. We recall it. We talk about our friends. We tell them, you got to go check out this restaurant in Istanbul. It's great. And the guy, and they give you tea and he tries to sell you a rug and, you know, and that creates a new experience, right? So they compound. And so experiences have what I call a memory dividend. When you recall them, ask anybody who had a first kiss, hit a game winning home run, got a promotion, et cetera, right? They recall it. They talk about it. We also have re-engaged that experience, create a new experience and have what we call the memory dividend. This is what we retire on. 
this has been my experience with retirement. This is what my dad retired on. This is what every old person ever do. Like when you get too old and you are not able to go out and do things and acquire these new experiences, you invite people over and you talk about the old days. Even now, when you sit down with friends, you mainly talk about things that have happened, right? And create a new experience about that, right? Like that's a, a super majority or a significant portion of the conversation. That's what makes you interesting. When you meet an interesting person, it's not what's going on right now that they're juggling and bl blowing fire out of their mouth, right? It's the stuff they have done that makes them interesting. And so if the purpose of money is to acquire experiences that fulfill us, right? And they produce dividends, just like any investment, we need to think about the invest the memory dividend as part of the return. So just like when you put your money in a bank and invest in a bank and it pays a dividend or a stock that pays a dividend, when you invest in a memory, it pays a dividend as well. And so just like Warren Buffett, who says invest early, invest early, invest early to get them take advantage of the compound interest of, of a bank or a stock. I say invest early, invest early in experiences to take advantage of the memory dividend and the compound effect of memory dividends. Yeah. And we're not saying experience, at least I'm not saying experiences have to be expensive either. No, it could be a walk in a park. A lot of times it's like, I'm feeling lazy. I'm get out. I'm like, no, let me go on a hike with my fiance. Let me go do this and let me do this thing and invest in this experience. It could be free. It could be expensive. It could be charitable. It could be hedonistic. What I'm saying is, is that when you're weighing things out, whether I spend now or save and spend later, because I'm going to earn a 5% return, right? Do you take two trips later in life, 10 years from now, or do you take one trip now? Well, I can, I can save my money and I'm going to get like this 3% return and I can take two trips later. But I can take one trip now and have the memory dividend pay out and all the other experiences, tell my friends and create relationships and do whatever that gives me all this fulfillment, right? Because the purpose of the money is to fulfill you. The purpose of your resource is to have a fulfilling life. And if the summation of the memory dividend and the experience now is more fulfilling than taking two trips later, then you have an obvious decision. Maybe it's not. Maybe you're 17 and two trips later being more mature and having two trips later and the, the future uh, experiences will have more of a memory dividend. And this is some calculus that people have to run themselves for each individual person, but it's just a mental model of how to think about things, right? Like, Going to the club is now for me. It's not 10 years from now. <laughs> you know, the experience has a lower quotient and I don't get that much memory dividend out of it because I'm closer to the grave, right? And so that's an experience for now. And some of them are delayed, like, you know, versus other experiences. Like, do I travel here or do I go right on a train or do I spend time with my kids, et cetera? Like, this is a constant dialogue you need to have with yourself about what maximizes fulfillment for me. Yeah. The money is secondary. The money is secondary. It is. It's like the tool or it's like the fuel for your life. It's almost like this inner journey, you know, and it's a conversation you continually have. It's not just one time because your priorities change over time. Your opinion changes. Your likes change. So I love that. And as you bring up kids, you know, myself, one of the things that you know, I was thinking about while I'm creating a legacy for them or giving them like a nest egg, is how do I give that to them now? And you talk about that in the book. So again, I first saw it and I was like, what does he mean die with zero? I want to leave my kids some money. And you mean that too. So talk about the way in which you want to leave or you want people to think about leaving things to their children. Right. So, I, you know, the book is really about being off autopilot and being deliberate with your life. And this is every decision. And so like, if you plan on giving your kids money, nest egg, et cetera, and I'm not saying you should or you shouldn't, I'm just saying, whenever you do, you have to think about what is the purpose of the money? Well, it's for them to acquire experiences. Well, when will it have the most maximum impact in their life? When are they mature enough to be able to use the money and have positive experiences, right? And, and take advantage of the memory dividend, et cetera. And so your kids have the same uh, decline curve as you do, right? They will reach mental maturity around 28, right? And physical maturity at 33. And from then on, it's plateau and downhill, right? And so their ability to convert money into positive life experiences, or which is correlated with their fulfillment, decreases with age. Now, nobody's like, yeah, I want to give money to my kids when they're 95 or 94, right? And, and then you're not, I'm like, I'm not going to give a 14-year-old a bunch of money for him to go light it on fire at video games, right? Like he doesn't have the mental capacity to handle it. And so 
you know, I argue that the maximum impact and zone for you to give a gift, to bequeath a gift, not bequeath, but to give an inheritance to your kids is between 25 and no later than 35, right? And it depends on your kids, right? You have some people have very mature kids that are like can handle it at 25 and it's going to have an impact. And some people like, hey, I'm going to give them at the tail end, but you know, I'm not here to control them. I'm here to give them a head start. It's their life. They're going to go vaporize it, let them vaporize it, but it's their, it's their money, not my money, right? And I also talk about like separating that out. A lot of people here, I'm working to give money to my kids. I'm like, listen, you go get in an auto accident, somebody sues you, they take all your damn money, right? You didn't separate it out, right? So there's the process of separating out. It's the kid's money. It's not mine. I can't spend it. Nobody can spend it. Nobody can take it, right? And then the control of that money, which I argue should be between, you know, for me, it's 28 and 33 and that age when it's going to have the maximum impact on their life. Yeah. And like you said, that makes a lot of sense. Like if we're thinking about what we leave behind, if we all live to, you know, and die natural death in like our 80s or 90s or however long people are really living these days, our kids, depending on when we have them, they'll be 50, 60, 70. And you have a great story in the book about a woman who actually needed help earlier in her life. She was like, I think a single mom. And she did get left money by her parents, but it was like, she was like, I think later in life, 60 or 70. And she had said, I would have loved this money like earlier, you know? And if you are in the position, I just think that this is just going to change a lot of people's perspective if they haven't heard this before. If you are in the position where you're already saving and investing for your kids and it doesn't have to be millions of dollars. So I think that's sometimes what people think of like, oh, it has to be a lot. Even if it's 20, my mom helped me, you know, buy my first condo at 22 and that's changed the trajectory of my life. Uh, that I can't even like imagine. And if she didn't purposely like read your, she, your book was enough then obviously, but she just knew to do that. And what she did for me, like that's the kind of stuff I want to be able to, to give my kids while they can enjoy it and make use of it in their prime. So I just think it's a beautiful concept that we can consider when we're thinking about leaving, leaving a legacy to our kids. Yeah. It's almost a form of uh, like not confidence in your kids. You're, you're thinking like, oh, your investments to whatever your kids, 30 to 60, are going to beat their creativity and their utility of the money when they're 30. And it's kind of arrogant, right? It's like, nah, you know, give it to the individual. They're going to beat your return in the market. Like they have more use, more fulfillment, more goals, et cetera, because the purpose is to give them experiences, the tool to have experiences. Well, when is the maximum peak that you can convert money into experience? 30, 33, biologically, mentally, et cetera. And so to think that, oh, it's better to give my kid $10 million at 60 than a million at 30. I, I just disagree. I, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. And just even like for maybe someone who's not even thinking that on that scale, it's like, instead of 500,000 or 400 X, it's like 15,000 for a, a 25 year old, a 30 year old can, it can change their life or anybody, even any age at this point for some people. I would love to hear more about how you are living your life now, like in terms of balancing this idea of spending in the now, like when you get to a certain point and like, you probably have a lot more money. You have a lot more money than me and probably a lot of people listening. Maybe we have some uh, wealthy people listening, like really wealthy. I mean, that can spend money now and be fine later, but how does one, like when they have a lot of money, like yourself balance that now, like, do you still, I was wondering like how wealthy people intend to spend their money. Is it for you a choice between first class and a private jet? And I'm making assumptions here, but I'm just trying to understand when someone like myself is looking at the levels of being wealthy and I'm not in that zone or in that place yet and a lifestyle. And I wonder like people who are wealthy who can't afford a private jet. Not, I don't know if you can or not, but, or can afford like constant first class flights. What does that life look like for you in making those decisions now? You know, I wrote the book for me. I, you know, I was originally supposed to be a program on how to spend my money down to zero. And so I go through the exercise. I, I do think about like, what experiences I want to have between 50 and 55, 55 and 60, 65, 70, and so on. You know, it gets a little wider because it's like harder to have visibility in the future. And I constantly update this, right? I'm like, okay, well, what is that? I like to go travel every summer. How much does that cost? What is that, et cetera? What does that spend? And then like, am I really going to be doing this much traveling when I'm in my 70s? No, I can look at my mom. I can look at my dad. I can look at my, I can look at my ancestors and be like, who are you kidding? She's <laughs> like, do, you are not going to have this level of spend, right? So I'm front loading the activities. And so I have a view of like how my worth gets spent down to zero over time. And that forces me 
to think about where the money I have goes and what activities. I was like, okay, I have more room for activities in 50, 50 to 55, 55 to 60. And some of those things are like, okay, see daughter get married, pay for her wedding. See other daughter get married, pay for her wedding. Go on these trips, go whatever. And it like loose outline of the things I want to do. And then I go work backwards and be like, all right, this is going to cost X, this is going to cost Y, this is going to whatever. I'll be selling off this house. I don't need that at this age, et cetera. So that I minimize the waste in my life. Like it could keep me up at night. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what am I doing? I'm wasting my time. I should go travel and go like, you know, I just, I just went to speak at a class in university of North Carolina. And a friend was like, you've never been to Charleston. You got to go visit Charleston. I'm like, you're right. I got to go visit Charleston. What am I doing? I have the ability to do it. I have the health to do it. I have the money to do it. This is where this belongs. Thank you for that discovery that I need to go visit Charleston and go visit. And so that's how I think of my life. I do not think rich people are doing that. That is why I wrote the book, right? Like rich people are not doing that, right? I'm doing that. My friends who I beat up and, and get on their case are doing that and thinking about that. Like how much should they be spending on charity each year? How much are they doing as they spend their assets down to zero? When you say rich people aren't doing that, what do you mean by that? I know quite a few rich people and people have developed habits on how to acquire wealth. Mm. And human beings are great. Once you put them on a habit, they keep going. That's why it's hard to uh, quit a smoking. That's why it's hard to get back onto a diet or a good diet, et cetera, is because we develop habits and then we just go on autopilot. These people who are successful have developed winning habits and they just keep going. They forget the real goal, right? Like they're a hamster in a wheel that never gets the cheese, right? They just keep working, working, working and investing and doing deals. Like you see them out there. You see Ray Dalio and Warren Buffett and these guys still trying to make money. I'm investing in this. And I, I saw a guy get on TV. He was like 70 something. He was like this 10 year investment. I'm just like, when's the party? Wait, what? You're investing? You know what I mean? Like you got to be spending down, right? There's an article about a guy who actually spent down his worth to like as close to his, what he felt his survival number was. There's a guy who was a like super wealthy who now is like broke, according to him, but spent all his money down, gave away the charities they wanted to give done the things he wanted to do. And now he's at his steady state life to the grave. He's not doing all the, the very expensive things in his life. And that's kind of where I want to go. And I want to just be able to tell Fireside Chats, be like, remember that time I rented the yacht in the south of France and we had that party? Remember that time we did X, Y, and Z? Remember I got the whole party and do whatever? And that's going to be my retirement, right? Like, not like, hey, I got like X dollars in the bank that I'm looking for excuses to give away now because I, I didn't live a full life. Yeah. And I think there's such a difference. Like that's why you're talking about intentional uh, spending because I was, um, there was a clip by a little, I always mess up his name and people, the young kids laugh at me, little Yachty or Yachi, this rapper. And he talked about like, he's making millions, but he spends millions a month and he feels like he's on this hamster wheel. Like he can't stop working because he has so, so much expenses and like he can't get off. And I was looking at it like you have so much money, like you can literally set yourself up so you don't have to work as hard anymore. But it seems like he's set up a lifestyle and an expectation that he feels like he constantly has to work. And this was like a year ago or so. So maybe it's, he's changed, but it just felt like he's on autopilot, it seems, in a way in which he has a lot of money, but he's not enjoying it. The way he talked about it, it was just like, I can't stop working. Like, I have to do this because I, I'm spending millions of dollars. But it wasn't in the way that you're talking about it, like spending it and enjoying it. Yeah. I, you know, that happened to me um, when I first became wealthy. You know, I was like, I was trained by the media like, oh, you want to get the fancy car or whatever. I'm not even a car guy. Like, I hated it. I felt like an idiot. I would use a, a, a worse word, but <laughs> I felt like a D-bag driving around in this car, right? I'm like, I'm not a car guy. And But I was doing what I thought rich people should do, quote unquote. I wasn't really in touch with what I really wanted. I've been marketed to and programmed to have this lifestyle that I thought, you know, I should be spending my money on. And once I got off that kind of autopilot programming and thought deeply about what do I really like? What is really important to me? What experiences do I want to have a life? Did I come in more balance with my spend, you know, align my spend with my income or whatever, you know, with my goals. And so that's a great thing about your money or your life and the fire movement is it deeply gets you in touch with what do you value and what do you want to spend money on, right? There's no judgment. There's no right or wrong, whoever you are. It's just like, let's identify your values and what you really want out of this ride called life. And I think what little Yachty has done is, is like, he got a bunch of money. He's like, oh, I'm supposed to spend it. And he's addicted to this wheel without really thinking about what does he really want out of life? Does he really enjoy the fifth chain? 
does he really enjoy the car? Or is it just another thing? Is he attached with status symbols and signaling that I'm wealthy more? And does that really make him happy or not? And so I, I believe and I hope that this person takes some time to really think about what he values and what really makes him happy and what fulfills him. And that, you know, it will better get him in line and not feel like I have to work. Yeah. And I think we can all learn from that. Maybe we were not the million dollars spending as he is, but even in, in our own lives, in our own beautiful little lives, I think we are our heroes and the main characters. And so like this applies to us too. It is, you don't have to be rich to think about this. At, at every wealth level, like I, I've been busted. I've been at the lower wealth level and did the same thing. You know, I was like, no matter how much money I had, I had no money, right? Like how much money I income, it just went out the door, right? And it was kind of like this rocketing back and forth from I'm saving all my money to like, I'm just spending like crazy because I'm supposed to spend like crazy instead of like, no, you're supposed to figure out what fulfills you and pursue that relentlessly and do your best, right? And the first part of fulfilling yourself is knowing what fulfill yourself, know yourself, like get in touch, not be marketed to sit down and get to what you like and do your best at that. Oh, I love this. Okay. So I hope everyone runs out and gets your book, Die With Zero Bill. Somewhere you want people, if they want to follow you or follow your work that you want to direct them to? I'm in the Twitterverse. I'm at DP22 on Twitter. I mean, you know, there's good takes, there's bad takes. That's my little addiction to interact with people. If you want to interact with me there, I, I like debate. I love debate. So Twitter is probably one of the best places to, to find me in the Twitter streets. <laughs> awesome. Well, this was amazing. Thank you so much again. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Don't forget, you can get the episode show notes for this episode by going to journeytolaunch.com or click the description of wherever you're listening to this. And you can still grab your jumpstart guide for free to help you on your journey to financial freedom by going to journeytolaunch.com slash jumpstart. If you want to support me and the podcast and love the free content and information that you get here, here are four ways that you can support me and the show. One, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast wherever you listen, whether that's Apple Podcasts, that purple app on your phone, your Android device, YouTube, Spotify, wherever it is that you happen to listen, just subscribe so you are not missing an episode. And if you're happening to listen to this in Apple Podcasts, rate, review, and subscribe there. I appreciate and read every single review. Number two, follow me on my social media accounts. I'm at Journey to Launch on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And I love, love, love interacting with journeyers there. Three, support and check out the sponsors of this show if you hear something that interests you. Sponsors are the main ways we keep the podcast lights on here, so show them some love for supporting your girl. Four, and last but not least, share this episode, this podcast with a friend or family member or coworker so that we can spread the message of Journey to Launch. All right, that's it. Until next week, keep on journeying, journeyers. Journeyers.